Welcome to Tiger Resilience podcast series. With over 25 years experience directing addiction programs, these series are designed for anyone who is struggling with a loved one dealing with addiction. Through these programs, you will gain insight, awareness, and vision into all things about addiction. Here is where addiction education will assist you in reaching your human potential. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Bernie and I am the host of these podcast series. Tiger Resilience focuses on addiction education for family members, friends, individuals of a loved one who themselves is struggling with an addiction. And our goal is to help inform family members and friends about what addiction is. And today's topic is going to be talking about is addiction a choice or is it really a condition where an individual can't stop? I also have the privilege of having a co-host today, and that co-host is Dr. Jamie Redwing, who comes with a vast amount of background and experience in addiction science and medicine, and she's going to be joining us to talk about the behaviors of addiction as a disease and not as a choice. So welcome to the show, Jamie. Thanks, Bernie. This is great. Such a privilege to be on your podcast. Uh, So as Bernie pointed out, I am an addiction medicine specialist. I've been in the addiction medicine field for about 20 years, actually a little longer. I am a board-certified diplomat of the American Board of Addiction Medicine. I've been a member of the American Society of Addiction back since 1998, and I am now a fellow of the American Society of Addiction Medicine. I've had three fellowships, and most recently one with the Psychoanalytic Center of Philadelphia, which helped me have a lot of insight into some of the psychodynamics that go along with addiction medicine. I've been practicing in a hospital setting for about eight and a half years, and I love my field, and I love my patients. It's, it's a great privilege to be able to practice addiction medicine, even though it's not well understood or known by many of my colleagues and certainly by lots of folks out in society who are not physicians and whatnot. But it's just such a joy to be here and chat with Bernie, and I turn it over to him. Thank you. And uh, again, the the pleasure and certainly the the honor is all mine, and certainly for Tiger Resilience to have this benefit of having your wisdom and knowledge and experience to share on the show. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how this is a brain disease Um, Again, with a takeaway for families to understand that this is not something that a loved one is struggling with because it's a moral or character fault of the individuals, but this really is a uh, a brain disease, and people are not doing this because this is fun. When they get to the point of dependence in opioid use disorder, this is for them a life and death uh, motion. And I'd like to, Jamie, if you could share a little bit about your background and talk a little bit about what your the medical side of that of how this really is no longer a choice per se, as much as it is uh, the biological piece of the disease. I got interested in addiction medicine back in the late 80s, yeah, late 80s, and I was fascinated because I was starting to hear information about addiction, now called substance use disorders, that I had never in my life heard. I'd already been through medical school and several years of residency, so I was surprised that there was something new that I was hearing that I'd never, in all those years of training, Mm -hmm. never heard before, which was 
neurobiology, neuroendocrinology. Now, you can forget about those terms. Basically, what that's saying is addiction is driven by brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. And once the brain finds itself in an addictive mode of operating, then the person that belongs to that brain no longer has a conscious choice. They think they do, but they don't. So let's back up a little bit, and let's talk about what is addiction mm -hmm. versus chemical dependence. So let's say, let's say grandma broke her hip, and she had a big operation. And she's a tough old cookie, so she sailed right through it, but gosh, she has a lot of pain. So today we're so much more careful about prescribing pain meds. So her doctors do a beautiful job of giving her appropriate opiates and tapering them down and getting her off. Well, after about 7 to 14 days, anybody taking a regular dose of opioids is going to become, to some extent, physically dependent on that. Mm. Okay. But here's the kicker. That doesn't mean they're addicted. Yes. Okay? Because... There's two different brain processes yes. that go on. So we're not going to worry about the folks that are, for very good reasons, temporarily dependent, say in this case for today, we'll talk about opioids. Mm -hmm. That's on everybody's mind, so mm -hmm. why not? Mm -hmm. What we are going to focus on today is what about the folks that can't stop once that prescription is done? And most people know somebody that that's happened to. Absolutely. I, I, it's funny you say that because, and to take it from a personal level, my mother-in-law, who, uh, God rest her soul, passed away a few years ago, had suffered a severe back injury uh, in her later 60s and was given opioid pain, man pain management for oxycodone at the time. And she had never even drank in her life, never did anything at all. She was an extremely, as we'll call a clean person, has never had any experience to psychoactive substances. And she took them as prescribed for pain. Many years passed, and she was still on that prescription. And, of course, her tolerance levels started to rise, and so her prescription became more, uh, became a larger volume. It became more frequent. And to the point where before when she was doing it as needed, you know, if the, if the prescription said take, you know, one every two to four hours or four to six hours as you think you need it, it became a biochemical and psychological sense where she would just take it every two hours because that was the minimum threshold. So it says every two hours at the minimum I have to take this. So it took, And then she almost got to the terms where she was using, I got to get my oxy, it's two hours. And these are kind of terms that we've always heard in the addiction field for the longest time. And here was this woman who never in her life had really had become dependent, of course, on it, but in a in a, in a way of healthy healthy and helping her with her pain management. But that's just how powerful that really became psychologically. So when she did get into a nursing home, they did have to detox her because of the fact that they were not going to allow narcotics into the system. And she did have to go through a withdrawal process, though they did do it and take care of her. But it was very strange because all those behaviors that are very common with people that are dealing with the addiction of opioids, she exhibited. She lost weight, in fact, um, towards the later part of her uh, struggling with her health issues the doctor had finally given her additionally had added morphine to her prescription because she was complaining of pain, whether that pain was phantom or not. I obviously I can't speak on that 
when she was on that that alone, that shift changed her. And I remember my wife and I going to visit her, and Valerie, my wife, had said, "I think there's something wrong." And, you know, Dolly just sounds off and on. When I understood what she was doing, I explained exactly what we were going to see in the household. The dishes would be dirty, the house would be unclean, the dog would have been using the the floor, um, and she'd probably be asleep or passed out somewhere. And that's exactly. And my wife didn't believe it, but when we pulled in, it was exactly what it was. So it's so amazing that even when somebody is getting this medical attention you know the predictabilities to that too as well yeah that's been a massive problem um everybody's heard about the opioid epidemic Mm -hmm. and if you're a reading person i mean there's new york times articles there's lots of places and ways to view some of the history Mm -hmm. but for today it's safe enough to say that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that have had that same experience. Yes, and just yes. like you pointed out, they've been leading productive, useful, non-self-destructive lives. And then all of a sudden, they get started on something. They use it appropriately, no problem. And then they can't get off. Mm-hmm. So let's back up a step and take a look at what might be under that. Yes, please. So... I was raised at a time when anybody that had a dependency, an addiction to something, well, it was their own darn fault. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just stop? You could stop if you wanted to. If you loved me, you would give that stuff up. Or if you had willpower, of course. Oh, well, let's let's get to the willpower. That's that's the pull your boots up (laughs) or build a bridge. What is that wonderful expression? Build a bridge and you finally have to get over it, finally. Yes, Yes. exactly. Right. And uh, unfortunately, I I don't have the quote today, but I did read a quote many years ago uh, when I was pulling together a lecture on Yogi Berra, who famously uh, Mm -hmm. once told, uh, I guess, a group of reporters, they were asking about one of his players who had an alcohol problem. Mm -hmm. And he said, I really don't understand that, and I'm totally paraphrasing him but the idea was why don't you just get over it and stop that stuff yeah so get get your life together get your life together yeah you can do this what's the matter with you so let's talk about very briefly the difference between being chemically dependent let's use an opioid for example a pain pill versus being quote-unquote addicted so dependency they're not the same is a matter of taking a medication or a drug long enough, let's keep ourselves to prescribed medications, Okay, is taking a prescribed medication long enough that your brain begins to kind of want it when it's not there. Yes. Okay. That's a normal physiologic process. process. Yes. And we know it takes anywhere from 7 to possibly 14 days for that to occur, with pain medications, mm-hmm. and then the vast majority of people are able to stop or mm-hmm. taper off, and they're fine. They're good to go. But what about folks like your mother-in-law who can't stop? What is that about? Well, that's what we call addiction. Yes. Today we call it substance use disorders. Yes. It means the same thing. Yes. So what is addiction? Well, the simple definition of addiction, which I love is continued use despite negative consequences. So let's run that by again. Continued use, meaning I use it, 
And then I go, ah, I'm done with that. I got really messed up last weekend, and it yes. affected, yep. nah, 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 nah. I'm not going to do it again. And then you go to a wedding, and you do it again. Yes. And then something else happens. So continued use, mm-hmm. despite negative consequences. Correct. Correct. That's a great definition. It is. That's it a is terrific. Yeah, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, no, it is absolutely spot on. Because I, now, kind of using my mother-in-law as an example, again, for this is because she didn't have necessarily negative consequences outside of the behavior piece because she was she was compliant with the actual prescription and as it was prescribed to her she was just maximizing it and without using her own body system to check and balances on it too so i'm i'm fairly certain again i can't speak for her but i'm fairly certain that she just felt that she was doing as she was told to help her with her physical health but when it when it crossed that bridge where she really just couldn't stop and then she started to look at it like oh two hours and she literally would kind of time it and then two hours go by and she'd look at her watch and oh two hours got to take my pill and it wasn't about the the pain management at that point it was just about following the prescription and i think that's where that that addiction piece kind of kicks in but yet she didn't have any real negative consequences until that very end when the morphine was introduced and she was having the issues with her own activities of daily life and just the adls yeah i might um if we were in a case conference i might question a little bit of this or that but uh, the negative consequence to me was that she wasn't able to do what brought her pleasure before probably that's a big consequence yes Yes. that her house was in terrible disarray which which was not her habit correct so those kinds of things you may look and say well yeah but you know johnny's not out breaking into cars and stealing my jewelry that's a great point yes that is a great point. But look at Johnny's room. Yes. You know, he, he's not playing with his buds anymore. He's got a new group of friends, and I don't like them. Yes, indeed. And his, uh, all these behaviors have changed, and it seems like he's just not that same person. And that's absolutely, there are some personality changes that do happen with that, and I would certainly identify that with my mother-in-law, too. It's hard, particularly with older folk and sometimes with younger folk. You yes. Know? We want to believe that they're still themselves, but... So many people are absolutely perplexed. Why is Josephine doing that? Correct. What is wrong with her? Well, a more formal definition of addiction would be a primary brain disorder. Primary means it exists all by its own. It's Mm -hmm. not secondary to something else. If I break my leg and then I develop problem with my other leg trying to compensate for my busted leg, that would be a secondary issue, issue. Yes. with my uninjured leg. But like Great cancer, <laughs> thank you, like cancer, uh, type 1 diabetes, Correct. juvenile onset, these are all primary disorders. Yes. What we do know after all these years of research is that this is a primary brain disorder that is chronic, like a chronic illness, like high blood pressure. It's progressive. Yep. It gets worse over time. Yes, indeed. It's often relapsing. Yes. For sure. But not always, but often. Mm-hmm. And just like a cancer, it can go into remission. Yes. It can go into multiple small remissions. And occasionally you run into folks that get in remission and that's it. And they're done. They're done. Yeah. But it is in remission because reintroducing it once again would just open that door right back up. 
So, so my myself as a father, if I'm dealing with my son who potentially has an issue, maybe let's say he is abusing opioids, and my my thoughts are, first off, that he should just be able to stop on his own. Why is he doing it, first of all, in the first place? But what if, when he gets to the point, he's like, Dad, I just can't stop. And I'm looking at him, I'm saying, well, of course you can. And I will, one of my favorite arguments will be, this is a, it's a freedom of choice. You're able to choose this at this point. And the argument certainly is that no, it, in, according to the science and the individuals who speak on this time and time again, I can't stop. If I stop, I'm in pain. And I'm in pain because, and that's where, Dr. Redwing, you certainly can explain on that. Why, are, why do people find that issue where they're in pain? This isn't even pleasure anymore. They're literally fighting a pain management piece when they've been using for a period of time now. So when they don't use that withdrawal, so what's the t- if you could talk a little bit about what that's like, that, that physiological, the, the biological withdrawal. Absolutely. Um, when the nervous system is on, we're going to call it normal, uh, signals yeah. go up in the brain, down into the body, and they just have their own natural flow. They yes. ebb in their flow. When a person falls into the throes of active addiction, yes. their brain chemistry is changed. And you might ask, well, I don't understand that. doesn't make any sense to me. But for those of us that have immersed ourselves in the study and the science of it, yes. we know that there are chemicals in the brain that instead of flowing this way, a simple way of looking at it is to understand, nope, now they're flowing another way. It's like missing missing your exit on the turnpike. Gotcha. You're flying down the turnpike, everything is fine, and then all of a sudden, I'm used to going this way, but my car took me that way. Yes. Well, why does that matter? It matters because now a person's physiology, the way the brain actually functions, is changed. Okay, so then you might ask, well, all right, Doc, I'll give you that. What changed? The end result of a series of changes when a person's in active addiction Mm -hmm. is that they can't stop. And then you're going to say, well, I've seen them stop a hundred times. And that's true. People can stop. The hallmark of addiction is they can't yeah. stay stopped. Correct, correct. So this is where that whole, it's not a choice anymore because I can stop for a moment. And then the biology piece kicks in where for this part, it's mostly, it's a pain to what I understand and what I know of from the professional. It's yeah, emotional, emotional, physical. It's absolutely physical. And if they don't have that, filling that void it becomes painful and i do know from personal experience and from our in our field for a long time human beings do one of two things we seek pleasure we avoid pain i have found in my own experience that people will avoid pain even if it means giving up a pleasure because we're just that native of survival mechanism i'm going to do anything if i feel pain i don't care hell or high water i'm going to do something to stop that too so so that's really where that addiction withdrawal comes in they're really just not, they, this isn't fun anymore. This is about them just trying to survive, in a, in a sense, pain management. That's an excellent point. Uh, anybody that is familiar with folks that have gone down this path or are going down it, at some point you're going to hear a person say, but it felt so good in the beginning. Yes. I was yes. having fun. 
in fact, I could talk to girls, and I wasn't afraid to, to get together with boys or whatever your sexual yeah, preference yeah. is. The point I, is... I could play sports. I can do... Uh, I was amazing in the things I was able to do because I was able to feel better about myself, and therefore I performed better. At least I thought I did. Exactly, and often people do. People do do better, and they feel uh, as if they can breathe the first time in their life. Yes, yes. I feel like they can yeah. breathe. So, and in the beginning, it is a choice. It's a conscious choice. Uh, they're not under the influence of, of chemical changes in the way their brains work. And you can absolutely say, yep, yeah, well, that was a choice. Do you want to get shit-faced? Right, <laughs> right. Do you want to go through the social embarrassment that you did this last weekend yes. when you made yes. a fool of yourself? yes. Yes, indeed. And Absolutely. a person who says, I had two drinks and it really made me feel weird, as opposed to the person that says, I had two drinks and I felt great. Yes, indeed. And yes. then they don't stop. Yes. So that is a biochemical process. Yes. I was raised, you were raised, the vast majority of the world and many of my colleagues were raised to believe, as I was, and trained to believe yes. that... Substance use is absolutely a choice. Mm -hmm. It's a moral failing, it's mm -hmm. an ethical failing, and it shows weakness of character. Correct. What we know about the population of substance use disordered individuals is that as a group, they tend to be smarter, multi-talented, very hard workers when they're not busy using. Oh yes. And can be highly motivated. Many cases of very famous people that have shared their challenges that had such incredible abilities and gifts, indeed. You know, actors, musicians, uh, folks in the academic world, many, many people have gone through that have had Absolutely. great skill sets. And besides the stigma of you could just pick yourself up and stop this nonsense, look at what it's doing to your family, there's, just like you said, you're absolutely correct. There are Congress people, there have been presidents, there's some indication uh, in the literature that Noah himself may have had a bit of a drinking problem. Oh. So this is, you would have to talk to an academic about that most likely, okay. but suffice it to say, this illness, this disease has been with us for thousands of years. Oh yes, yeah, I think it's not a choice. And the end result is, and then I'm going to kick it back to you, Bernie, the end result of all of these brain changes, which we, can't, we can neither feel nor, per, nor perceive, yes. others can observe it. But, Correct. But we ourselves in it. We don't see it because uh, denial is one of the sine qua non, which is a no. fancy way of saying a bright, uh, shining alarm. When you see that, Yes. That goes with addiction. Yes, indeed. Oh, but it's great. So in the end result, you're dealing with neurons. Those are the nerve cells in the brain and down the spinal cord to the neuron to be deprived of the substance that they've been indulging in. To that neuron's mind, it's life and death. Yes, it is. Meaning that the brain has been accustomed to receiving a certain substance. And after a certain point, and you can't accurately predict when that's going to be necessarily, all of a sudden, if you take it away, first they may get ill, 
They might not, but they usually do. And then the brain is screaming, I'm going to die if I don't have it. Yes. And that is the biological basis in simple terms of why people do what they do. Where the choice is no longer a choice. This is something that they need to do in a sense. That's great. And I I so appreciate that explanation too as well. So for the audience, again, the, the whole takeaway from this is truly to understand that if you have a loved one out there who is really struggling with addiction and they are struggling with use, and maybe they're not even in the full throes of it, but you're looking at this as a, I, I don't understand why they don't just make that decision to stop. And as Jamie, you pointed out perfectly, that you don't love me. You don't care enough about our family. You're not close with us. You're doing this purposefully. You're you're mad at something. And it, and it really is so much more than that. And it's so much more complicated than that. But the takeaway is that it's not a family member's fault. An individual gets caught up in Absolutely. addiction. It has nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with anything that has happened in your part of your journey with that individual they are caught in the throes of addiction this is where it becomes a brain disease where it is a science behind this and it is a disease and this part here is where it does need attention but for you as a family member knowing this isn't about the person's moral failings and their their inability to be that full son or daughter or husband or wife or any member of your family or friendships that you you care so much about and you're looking at that person saying well this is i just don't understand why they do that and it's nothing that really is going to be explained certainly in this quick podcast but certainly is to understand that it is not their choice it absolutely is not a moral failing at all so any no. last words jamie would any kind of closing remarks that we might have um all i want to say is what you just said was a beautiful review um and that you put it so well bernie i love that oh. i think that the problem with being a family member or a friend is that you are the last group of people to get any information. Oh, so true. So true. And you are the target, if you will, of tiger resilience. Yes, indeed. And Bernie has founded this because we know, we've always known, that you guys have been neglected. Not intentionally, but the funding tends to go, and it's understandable, but it tends to go to people to get into rehab and all of that. Always to the individual for the treatment. Precisely. But we believe that you, the family member, and the friends are extremely important. And there are some things that you've never been told that are well established. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that's what Bernie has made his mission, and that's what Tiger Resilience is in part. Uh, As it grows and expands but for now we want you to have some basic information that your friends don't know about exactly that many of my medical colleagues no matter how brilliant and capable and admirable that i personally really look up to and adore many of them don't have this basic information either correct Correct. And that's well, so well put, too. It really is so well put. Again, Tiger Resilience really is the focus on the family members, the friends, and that dynamic because at the end of the day, if you're able to have a secure and as best as possible a, a normalized family, even under the conditions of an individual struggling with addiction, you will be that 
pillar of support. You will be that rock of Gibraltar for that individual if and when they are ready for themselves to be into treatment. Because as we know, you cannot control that person, but your influence is immediately and potentially going to be the difference between their success or failure. But you cannot do anything until you are able to take care of your family first and yourself first and foremost. You know, my favorite metaphor for that is the aircraft flying at 30,000 feet and, you know, and you got two of the closest people in your life living or sitting right next to you on your left and right and the cabin depressurizes and you've got all of about maybe five seconds before everyone goes unconscious and and you're told right off the bat your your first instinct is i'm going to help my wife i'm going to help my son and as you struggle to do that all of you end up going unconscious and then the end result is self-explanatory so you have to take care of putting that mask on you first then you're able to take care of your loved ones so brilliantly stated yeah. burning yeah. My, I, love my, it. My, I learned that a long time ago one of my favorite metaphors certainly when it comes to kind of explaining this process so so that'll do it for us for tiger resilience today a very special thanks to dr jamie redwing for sharing her experience her knowledge and her wisdom with us and giving some definite information about how addiction and opioid addiction is no longer a choice but this is a condition a biological disease that creates a dependency that somebody cannot stop we are very grateful for your time for signing in and listening to our show and look forward to sharing more information with you as we have a lot of stories and a lot of information coming your way over the next few months. Dr. Jamie Redwing will be back with us on multiple episodes. And again, we do have a great amount of appreciation for your very busy schedule and checking us out and listening to this podcast. We do appreciate if you could give us a thumbs up at iTunes or any of your favorite podcast distributions to help us along the way. If you'd like further information, please visit us at tiger-resilience.com. That is tiger-resilience.com. Once again, thank you very much for your time, and we look forward to speaking with you very soon. Thank you for listening to Tiger Resilience Podcast. For more information, please visit us at our website at tiger-resilience.com. If you found value in this show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It is very much appreciated. This is Tiger Resilience, addiction solutions for reaching human potential.